This is the Art of Dental Finance and Management podcast brought to you by Art Wiederman, CPA with Ide Bailey. Whether it's taxes and investing or planning wisely, Art is the expert to make your dental practice profitable. At Ide Bailey, what inspires you inspires us. We provide a suite of accounting and advisory services dedicated to the total care of your practice. Visit our website to access our tools and resources tailored for dentists, idebailey.com slash dentist. That's E-I-D-E-B-A-I-L-L-Y dot com slash dentist. This podcast is distributed with the understanding that Art Wiederman, CPA, and Ide Bailey, LLP are not rendering legal, accounting, or other professional advice. Listeners should consult with their business advisors before acting on any of the information or opinions shared. If you have questions and or feedback, make sure to email Art over at awiederman at idebailey.com. That's A-W-I-E-D-E-R-M-A-N at E-I-D-E-B-A-I-L-L-Y dot com. You can also give Art a call at 657-279-3243. Without further delay, here's your host, Dental CPA Art Wiederman. And hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Art of Dental Finance and Management with Art Wiederman CPA. I'm your host, Art Wiederman, and welcome to my podcast on this uh, beautiful March Thursday morning here in Southern California at the World Broadcasting Headquarters of my podcast here in South Orange County. Uh, we're not getting any rain today, which is nice. We're going to get some on Friday, but uh, uh, all right, enough with the weather report, folks. Uh, I've got a great episode for you today. I have two of my dear, dear friends uh, in dentistry from the California Dental Association today, uh, Matthew Nelson and Katie Fernelli. We're going to talk about a uh, couple of really, really important topics. Number one, what's going on in uh, organized dentistry and what does CDA do and all that kind of stuff. But uh, the gist of our conversation today is going to be talking to you about the world of PPOs, uh, and this has been a big, big topic with our clients, with dentists at the CDA. I talk to the CDA folks on a regular basis, and it has been one of the top conversation topics. Should I sign up for PPOs? Should I stay with PPOs? Should I go out of network? We're going to have all that, and Katie and Matt are experts on this topic, and we'll get to them in a minute. Uh, but I want to just get some business done before we we, we get to them. Uh, first of all, I want to, again, thank our incredible marketing partner, Decisions in Dentistry Magazine. Lorraine Kent and her team um, have just the best clinical content of any publication out there. Uh, you can get 140 continuing education courses for a very, very reasonable price. Go to www.decisionsindentistry.com and take a look at all the great stuff that they've got um, going on. Uh, I I do want to share with you, and we'll talk to Katie and Matt a little bit about that, as we've got some um, live seminars coming up. And, and again, I'll let Katie and Matt tell you a little bit about that. Uh, in June in Northern California, uh, for younger dentists who are trying to figure out what path do you want to take in your career. So we'll tell you a little bit about that. Uh, I do want to let you know that uh, we will be at the California Dental Association. We Not only do we have a booth, and we are booth number 1472. I would love for any of you who are listeners of the podcast who are going to be at CDA in Anaheim to come by, say hi, give me a high five, fist pump, handshake, whatever it is that 
suits your fancy. I'd love to meet you. I've gotten, you know, many, many emails and, uh, from, from you, uh, telling us that I think we're doing a good job on this podcast. So I'd love to meet you. Uh, I'm going to be giving two, potentially three talks at uh, um, at CDA. So I'm real excited about that. Um, so uh, the CDA is uh, middle of May, and you all know when that's going to be. So if you're going to be out here for that uh, down in Anaheim, we'd love to see you. Uh, before we get to Katie and Matt, I, I want to reiterate again what's going on with this employee retention tax credit. Uh, The Internal Revenue Service came out uh, on uh, March 5th, I believe it was. Uh, And again, this this podcast will air probably about a month after, uh, so sometime in early April. But IR 2023-40, the topic that the IRS put out to the public, the title is, I'm going to read you the first couple of paragraphs, says, IRS issues renewed warning on employee retention credit claims. False claims generate compliance risk for people and businesses claiming credit improperly. I'm just going to read two paragraphs from this. Uh, From Washington, D.C., the Internal Revenue Service today issued a renewed warning urging people to carefully review the employee retention credit ERC guidelines before trying to claim the credit as promoters continue pushing ineligible people to file. The IRS and tax professionals continue to see third parties aggressively promoting these ERC schemes on radio and online. These promoters charge large upfront fees or a fee that is contingent on the amount of the refund. And the promoters may not inform taxpayers that wage deductions claimed on the business federal income tax return must be reduced by the amount of the credit. Many of these promoters do not even ask you, did you get a PPP loan? Because that has to be taken into account. Folks, I got something on my Instagram feed this morning, and it said, don't listen to your CPA. They don't understand ERC. And the reason that these promoters are getting very, very aggressive, folks, is that their window is starting to run out. Because you have to amend your second quarter payroll return until July 31st of 2023. So that's about three months from now. So once that window closes for the second quarter, three months later, the window will close for the third quarter. And then the 2021 windows have about a year left. But these promoters are coming aggressively, not only after dentists, but every single type of business. Uh, before we uh, came on the air here, Katie was sharing with me that CDA is going to do a, a publication. It'll be out by the time uh, you listen to this podcast. But uh, just promise me, be careful. If you have a problem and someone is pushing you to do this and you're not sure, send me an email at awiederman at um, You know, My office phone number is 657-279-3243. Um, you know, I will, I will be the voice of reason, uh, and I'm not going to get much more into this, but folks, you really want to be careful about this. It's kind of like I equate it to if someone called you up and said, Hey, I've got this, they don't know you, you don't know them. I've got this great investment opportunity where you can make a million dollars. You know, would you sign up for that from an unsolicited phone call? I'd be very, very careful. That's all I'm saying to you. Be sure to check out our new Ide Bailey podcast, Ebb and Flow, a business podcast providing inspired insight on issues and trends the middle market faces. Hear unique business stories, get answers to frequently asked and unasked questions, and understand business topics that matter to you. 
Available now on your favorite podcast platform. Okay, let's get to our guests and our topic. My good friends from the California Dental Association, Katie Fernelli and Matt Nelson. We're going to talk again, as I mentioned, a little bit about organized dentistry, what's going on, what CDA do, and we're going to spend the gist of our time on how PPOs work. So let me first tell you a little bit about both of them. Katie Fernelli is the Director of Early Career Dentists with the California Dental Association. She has 20 years of industry experience and she offers career advice, education, and practice management guidance to early career dentists. Previously a practice management consultant and coach, she has led hundreds of dentists and dental teams on topics such as leadership, strategic planning, and practice systems. Matt Nelson, Matthew Nelson is a practice analyst with the CDA. He specializes in areas of practice management, dental insurance plan analysis, and embezzlement. I hope he doesn't specialize in embezzlement. I think he meant he specializes in being able to find people who do embezzlement. Um, He has, no, I can assure you, he does not specialize in embezzlement. He has lectured at CDA Presents and at Component Dental Society meetings. His current work with the CDA practice support includes providing guidance and information directly to members. He has been in the dental field since 2015 as an office manager of a large group practice and in private consulting. Prior to dental, he worked in various leadership positions for large corporations that developed his ability to lead large and diverse teams. And he is a graduate of Cal State, graduate of Cal State University, Chico. And the reason they're on my podcast, folks, is they both laugh at my jokes. People that don't laugh at my jokes are not allowed on my podcast. Is that right, guys? That's right. Absolutely. We were laughing on mute. We were there with you, laughing you were, the whole you were time, laughing, especially you, about embezzlement. Yeah, exactly. You were laughing with me, not at me, right? Correct. Well, yeah. well welcome to the podcast, Katie and Matt. It's it, it's great. We've been talking about doing this for a long time, and I'm finally we glad we finally got to got to this. And uh, I, I first want to thank you, and not only the California Dental Association, but this is a national podcast. Uh, if any of you are listening um, uh, who are, are part of organized dentistry or part of local and state societies, all of you who, part- who participate in helping dentists and helping the dental profession through organized dentistry, just thank you so much. It's The work that you guys do is so, so important um, for the great profession of dentistry. So welcome to the podcast. And and. Um, Let's start out, guys. You know, I talked a little bit about uh, you know what you do. To get a little more into detail about uh, Katie, a little more about sure. you were a consultant, and then you were um, now you're working with the younger dentists starting up. Tell us a little bit about that. Great, sounds good. Thanks, Art. Great introduction. That's correct. So Matt and I, we both have very similar backgrounds. Um, we both are experts in managing dental practices. Um, We both have been consultants and coaches um, in dental practices for, uh, my experience was with a large um, nationally recognized consulting firm. And then I've also independently consulted and coached for for dentists. Um, Matt started out as an office manager um, in a large practice and then as well evolved into consulting. Um, Our roles at CDA, um, we really 
look at ourselves as the business hub for your dental practice. So um, we are in the practice support department. We are the practice management experts. My focus now, of course, as you mentioned, recently evolved into early career dentists. Um, but I have experience working with, with practice owners and with associate dentists and helping practice owners, as you know, transition into practice ownership, out of out of practice ownership when they're ready to retire and, and move into another phase of their career. Um, so what we offer is we're, like I said, we're kind of like the, the business hub. You can come to CDA, you can call us, you can email us, you can go on to cda.org. We have over, we have hundreds of resources um, having to do with managing every business element of the dental practice. So if it's not clinical, um, if it's more on the business side, if it has to do with dental benefit plans, employment practices, practice management, and uh, regulatory compliance, we we have a team. It's not just me and Matt. There's there's eight of us who are all experts in managing dental practices and um, and and helping you navigate through all of those business decisions that impact you every day. Um, it's important to note you don't have to be a practice owner to contact us. Um, I get a lot of calls. Um, obviously, my role with early career dentists. Most of our early career dentists are associates. Um, when you're an associate in a practice you're often an employee. So we represent our employee dentists. We represent um, dentists who are working as faculty at the dental schools. If you're working in a public health clinic, uh, uh, in, an in more of a clinic environment, if you're working for a corporate dental practice, we, we help you navigate all of those career decisions and um, anything that would impact you from the business side. No, it's The resources that you guys provide are amazing. And uh, doctors, if, if you're in California or in any other state, take advantage of your state and local component dental societies. They are there to help you to be successful. Matt, what's your story? Do you laugh at my jokes? I know Katie does. Katie always does. Do you laugh at my jokes? Yeah, yeah, definitely after you, you called me an expert in Bezelary. <laughs> I was oh like, wow, I guess I need to read word my bio. That's great. Well, <laughs> you know, I, I always help doctors, uh, you know, to improve their, their and increase their net worth. I guess that's one way to increase your net worth. No, let's not do that. So what, what, yeah. what, uh, what's your uh, history, Matt? Yeah, a lot, a lot of, like Katie said, you know, I, I did a lot of uh, leadership for big corporations before moving into the dental world and, um, you know, bringing that that leadership experience and and training experience, and and then getting to learn um, dental, and then coming in now into CDA and being able to share that and create resources and and share with uh, with our members. I think it's pretty rewarding when you um, you know you get a call from a member that probably didn't even know that that the practice support division existed, and then being able to give them everything they need to to either uh, improve a process or or fix a situation or whatever it is and then to to see how um, how thankful they are to know that you had a little impact in, in assisting someone make their practice better is just it, it's extremely rewarding and so uh, you know being able to take this this like experience that that we've gained in um, you know managing practices or big practices or working in group owned practices or working in consulting and seeing a little bit of everything and being able to share that experience is uh, it's, it's very rewarding work. 
So no, it, it absolutely is, and I again, I've been in dentistry almost forty years, and 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 what the societies do are amazing. So real quick, let's talk about advantages to organized dentistry. I, I don't see any disadvantages to being involved in organizing. It's all advantages, and and what can a state organization do for its members? Guys, talk about that. Well, I think we're we're a little biased, obviously, but I think of that course. it's important. Well, I am too. Yeah, but I think that, like Matt said, when you've worked outside of organized dentistry, and you may not even realize um, all the things that we offer at CDA to come to come work for CDA and realize all of the different departments and resources and benefits that we offer. It really is, um, it, it's, it is impressive. So outside of our department of practice support, um, you know, CDA, we have, we're the largest state association in the country. We represent 70% of dentists in California, which is really important because that makes us a much stronger voice um, legislatively for our members. Um, we represent 27,000 dentists in the state of California. So our numbers are just, you know, sheer volume of numbers. It's it's quite impressive. Um, so obviously we, ha- we offer advocacy and legislative action for our members. We offer practice support, which is again, that business hub for your dental practice. Um, education, you mentioned CDA Presents, which is our in-person live conventions and I mean and they're and they're they're huge we have 20,000 um, attendees at our Anaheim convention and so and then we offer another one in Northern California in the fall um, we have online learning we have an online learning platform now where we have webinars and and um, different modules that you can take and lots of online learning opportunities and then um, as you I'm sure Art know we also our subsidiary of, of CDA is, is the dentist insurance company and so you have access to all of the dentist insurance company products, which is your malpractice coverage, in addition to all of the the business-related insurance needs that you have. So those are kind of the top four um, benefits. Of course, there's there's other benefits um, in terms of, you know, there's other tiers within those benefits in terms of education and and what we do in practice support. Um, But I think the biggest benefit is that we we support dentists wherever you are in your career. I think that there's often a misconception that we only support private practicing dentists, um, and that's not the case. We we represent all dentists um, who are members. We even represent the non-members in terms of advocacy and legislation, um, and that's an important thing to remember as well. So I was going to ask you that, can dentists, and again, we're a national podcast, can dentists outside of California or non-dentists be members of CDA? You can, absolutely. We do have an affiliate um, membership category. And so we do have a lot of doctors who are members w- with their state association. And we always encourage that you want to join your state's association. So um, every every state has their own state association and you're usually, it's a tripartite membership. So I'm not going to go into what that is, but you're a wait, member wait, wait, wait. of your tri- local tri- 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 tripartite. You're, are you allowed to say that? <laughs> tripartite? I believe so. That sounds like I, a yes. Jeopardy question. I've been, I know. Okay. And I, when I go to the dental schools and I'm like, it's a tripartite and I just kind of get like the blinders on. So yeah, so it's a tripartite, meaning you're a member of your local dental society, the state and the ADA. So it's a, it's all one membership. And so we do say, encourage you always to be a member of your state association. However, if you want to take advantage of some of the benefits we have in California, you can become an affiliate member. And what that would provide you with is access to our education, our um, access to CDA Presents in Anaheim or in, in San Jose this year, um, and access to our online learning platforms. 
So, okay. so it's a great option if you are not in California. And before I forget, let's talk about the courses that we're doing in Northern California. We've, we've already completed um, the courses, or by the time this podcast goes up on the internet, we will have completed our two courses, the one we did in San Diego and the one we did in Riverside. Um, but we have one on June 10th um, and June 22nd, I believe, are the dates. So Correct. tell us about, let's just talk about those courses, and then we're going to get into the subject matter of PPOs. Yes. So really excited to be offering these courses. So they are, they are, um, designed for early career dentists. And as you mentioned, are it's really to um, identify your career path, what career path is best for you, um, what aligns with who you are as, as, a, as a dentist, what do you want out of your career. We have Art who's speaking on um, budgeting guidance. We have my colleague Anders who is going to talk about um, where the profession is going and using a lot of analytics and data about um, where the profession is currently and where the profession's headed. Um, and then I'll be speaking on um, different career paths and different career models and, and options for you as an early career dentist. Um, so it's a great program. I'm really excited about it. Um, there, we're, It's really different. It's not in a conference room at a hotel. We're doing these at really fun venues, Top Golf at a brewing company. Um, it's We're making it really fun, interactive. We have a full hour of networking so that you can mingle around the room, meet your colleagues, um, meet some mentors in dentistry, and then, of course, talk with the experts who are speaking at the program. So a lot of so fun. It- so if they want to sign up for these because we do have limited space, I believe. Yes. Uh, that they just go to cda.org. Is that what they do, Katie? Correct. Yes. Yeah. So cda.org and under our um, events and uh, our events page. So it's under virtual and live events under cda.org, and we have a landing page. And they're called Now and Next um, Dent in Dentistry: Mapping Out Your Career. So Great. there's a landing page for those. Yeah. Well, I'm excited about that. And uh, again, make sure if you do come to the CDA, uh, folks, I would recommend go to the CDA's. uh, The CDA has a whole booth. It's not a booth, really. It's an area near the front of the the conference floor. And you know what I would do? If I will bet you that most of you don't know. And by the way, this is not, (laughs) I'm not doing a paid commercial for CDA. I just believe in what they do so much. Just go grab one of the folks from CDA and just say, can you tell me what you do? And they will gladly tell you the different things. And you might say, I had no idea you did that. I had no idea there was this. I had no idea what they do. And and there's just a lot of stuff. So I would encourage you. That's why they're there. That's why they put on the CDA Presents and all these programs. All right. So let, let's get into our topic, which is what I really want to talk about. What the three of us are very passionate about talking about is PPOs. Now, so let me give you a, a little bit of just a little statistics. Recent, a, a recent survey by the CDA. Gee, is there a theme there? A recent survey by the CDA um, on Mind of the Dentist shows that dental benefit plans, this is really interesting, dental benefit plan decisions and negotiations is a top priority for CDA member dentists and the ADA Health Policy Institute's most recent economic outlook and emerging issues in dentistry poll found that one in six dental practices have dropped out of some insurance network since January of 2023, impacting 17.5% of their patient base on average. So folks, just I'm just going to make a comment before we get started here is 
my experience is ever since the pandemic has kind of, I'm not going to say subsided because unfortunately COVID-19 is here for the duration, but ever since our economy and our life has kind of gotten back to, to normal, we are hearing, Katie and Matt are hearing more and more about dentists starting to think about this topic. So let's let's get into this. First of all, give us, you know, PPOs 101. How do they work? What is a PPO? How does it work? How does it operate? Let's start with that. <laughs> yeah, you know, PPO is usually an insurance that'll allow um, the patient to pick their provider. Um, they can go to that provider and there's a, an agreed upon fee schedule that's usually less than the doctor's usual and customary fees, but it's agreed upon fee schedule that the patients would get, um, you know, that cost. And in most cases, the PPO will pay, you know, a percentage of the treatment towards that, leaving the patient a portion to pay as well. Okay. So, um, and they're all, they're all different. So you go to insurance right. company A's fee schedule, maybe different than insurance B, you know, B's uh, fee schedule. Does it matter like, what 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 part of the uh, country you're in or how many dentists how does that how do they determine what the fees are and we're not going to get into specifics but um <laughs> you know how how do they determine yeah you know that's i think some information that um you know we don't have all that information i think that's a lot of its proprietary information from the plans right staff. And, um, you know, we have heard in some cases it's geographical. So in areas where there's less participating providers in that, uh, with that plan in that community, there may be, um, you know, an increased fee schedule or in places where there are um, an abundance of, uh, of providers in one area, it might be a lower fee schedule. Okay. So, okay, now we know what a PPO is. Why would a dentist want to join a PPO? Let's talk about advantages and disadvantages. Yeah, you know, I think a lot of the advantages are that it is, it, it's like free marketing. And so if you're trying to build up your patient base or trying to get patients in quickly, uh, you know, a lot of times that is that is one of the easiest ways to get grow your patient base quickly is to be to be in contract with them. So you're listed on the website or you're directed to that that practice when you call your plan to find out who's close by. Um, so I think, you know, growing your patient base quickly is a really good one. I think, um, you know, patients that have maybe like a, a lower patient portion that they need to pay, um, you know, that's another reason why they might want to go there to your practice. Okay. I see with associate doctors, because I work with so many of the dental students who are graduating and, and getting ready to launch their career that they're presented with, here are the five plans or the 10 plans that the employer mm -hmm. is asking them to contract with. Um, and a lot of times they just, it's part of the employment agreement um, and you just sign up for them because that's what you you do as an associate and you might be working in multiple locations and, um, and you know, you just, you sign up for all those plans as part of your employment agreement. And then, um, you know, you just start, you start working as an associate and you, you get further into your career. And when you go to start a practice or you go to go into a group practice situation or a partnership, you just kind of carry those, those plans with you. So, um, so sometimes it's just like an early career decision and, um, and you've, it's part of the job. Okay. So now I'll tell you some things we see is, is, you know, when we have, it, it's amazing to me 
that dentists are still starting practices all over the country on a regular basis, a lot. Uh, there's a lot of new practices, and I think that's fantastic because that shows the entrepreneurial spirit of the dental profession. But we're also seeing dentists being told that when they start a practice that they should sign up because they have no patience. Not that they don't have patience with people. They don't have patience to treat. They start from zero. They've got this overhead that they've got to cover. So they need bodies in the chairs to cover their overhead to pay the bills, right? So people say, oh, you should just sign up with every single PPO. Is that a good idea? I know the answer to the question, but you tell me what you think. Well, I'm, I'm personally never a fan of the all or nothing, you know, like the always or never do this approach. But I think it, you got to have a strategy in place. And I think you need to evaluate each plan individually and make sure that it actually works for you before you get into network with that. I mean, there's so many things to look at, like who the employer groups are in the area. Um, you know, if you can live with those fee schedules, look at the limitations and exclusions and see if those work for you. Um, you know, there's, there's so much that you need to evaluate with that. And uh, it is a good way to get patients in quickly. I, you know, if you are contracted with the plans, it will help you, especially in a startup, grow that patient base quickly. But, um, you know, I, th I think if you're taking that time to build a startup and design the practice the way you want the practice to be for you, you should also take that time with your contracts and make sure that the contracts represent what you want to represent in your in your practice and not just sign up with all of them because then you're you're doing all this stuff to build a startup great in your vision and then if you're just going to sign up with every single contract then you're you know you're kind of off your vision on that part yeah, I, I agree. One thing, so Matt and I, we do a presentation and Matt's going to be doing this uh, course in Anaheim for those of you who are going to be at CDA Presents and it's called To Contract or Not to Contract. And we start that course with um, encouraging the doctors in the room to define your practice model. And so good decision or bad decision really comes down to what is the desired practice model that you're trying to um, achieve and does the plan contract align with that practice model? So, so we all, you know, we hear from a lot of doctors that say, I want to be a fee-for-service practice. Okay, well, where is your practice located? What are the patient demographics? What are the employers in your area? Um, do you have a lot of unions? Do you have, you know, a lot of individual um, small business owners that do not provide dental benefits to their to their employees? So. Um, it, it's important to look at what is the practice model, what is your desired practice model, do those two things match, can you switch the practice model if it's not your desired model, and a lot of, you know, of course, we're in California, I, I mean, we, we talk to doctors every single day, Art, who um, they may want to switch their practice model and move toward more of a fee-for-service practice model, but there are areas in California where it is really challenging, I won't say impossible, but their patient demographics will not sustain a fee-for-service practice. And so that's that's so good or bad all comes down to those external factors when you're looking to purchase a practice or start a practice from scratch. Um, and I think that those are decisions you need to make before you even start the practice. Um, and, and those are going to impact whether it is a good decision or a bad decision to contract with the plan. So I, I have a question, and I and I think a lot of dentists may be a little confused about this. 
So if you are not in network with an insurance plan, that does not mean that you can't treat that patient. And that does not mean that that patient is not going to be able to use their insurance benefits, right? Let's talk about if a dentist chooses not to go with plan uh, A and a patient who is uh, who has that insurance, they come in and you, know, you, you say, well, we're not contract, but we can still help you with that and file the forms and you're still going to bet. How does that work? And I know all the plans are different, but in general, if you're not in network with a plan, that patient is still going to get benefits from that plan, right? Correct. In most instances, that is the case. You do have to read the plan contract because there are plans, um, they're, they're EPOs, exclusive providers, um, where they could exclude the the employer um the employer group um or the patient from going to an out of network provider so this is where review your contract and uh, we pr- offer a service and um it's through the ADA where you can have your contract before you sign it you can't have signed it we will review the contract for you and we'll highlight things um such as if it's an EPO or if there's any limitations or exclusions. So it's really important to know your contract. But in most instances, a PPO means that the patients can go out of network and seek services from out-of-network providers. There may be limitations, though, to um, the maximums or certain procedures that you can obtain from out-of-network providers. And again, it, it's re, it's like with anything in life that you sign up for. If it's you, you sign a contract to finance the purchase of a washing machine, read the contract, right? Exactly. Yeah, right. I think there's something else to mention, too, is just that a lot of the plans do require that you are at least listed as a registered provider. It doesn't mean you sign up as a contract. It just means that you sign a form saying, I'm going to be a non-participating provider or an out-of-network provider. And you you have to at least get yourself registered on their database or the, they could just completely deny the claim altogether. Um, so mm-hmm. it is important to reach out to each plan. And, you know, some of them, it's a form. Some of them, it's just sending in your W, I think it's a W-9. Yeah, um, w-9. Sending in one of the W-9 forms saying, um, wish to be an out-of-network provider with the plan. So each plan's a little different. Just got to make sure that you let them know before you send in any claims. Yeah. Now, I, I also know that when you sign up with a PPO, in many cases, you're signing up with multiple PPOs. Um, I, I think the term train is you. I'm a big fan of the TV show, The Big Bang Theory, and Sheldon loves <laughs> trains. So I think of trains, right? So <laughs> talk about that. So if you sign up with... Uh, insurance company X, you might also be contracted with insurance company Y, Z, A, B, C, D, and E, right? How does that work? Yeah, it's it's the network leasers. So sometimes they can, um, you know, networks can can build their base by going in and individually contracting with each doctor, or sometimes they can get into like an affiliated network where, you know, it contracts you with with multiple plans at once. And in many contracts that we're seeing now, which is why it's really important to to if you are a CDA member to 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 take us up on what Katie was talking about with the contract analysis is that we're seeing many contracts now are sh- they're automatically putting you into these network leasing situations where you are contracted with many many plans and if that's not what you want to do it's important to to either call the plan to get more clarification or have it removed or 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 yeah work to have it removed so um 
I, I want to ask something about that because I've seen this. So when someone signs up for plan A and the contract signs them up for five or six or 10 or 100 other plans, I, I've seen in some cases and some doctors have told me that in some cases that the the reimbursement to the doctor is going to be, the, in some cases, the lowest fee schedule of any of those plans. Is that Have you seen that? Yeah, and uh, that's most commonly what we hear is that it's going to be paid out on the lowest fee schedule of all the plans. However, recently we've started hearing from some members that um, the least situation is actually paying more than the individual plan. It's, oh, okay. It's, it's limited, and we've only heard it from a few people right now. So it's still really important that, again, like for your unique situation or where you're at, that you you do the analysis and you really analyze the contract and what the fee schedules are going to be before you sign that contract. No, that, that's really, really important. So I am, as I've told my audience for four and a half years now, I'm required by law to do math since I am a CPA and this is the art of dental finance and management. So let's talk a little math here. Uh, I know there's no averages or there's no scoreboard here, but what are you guys seeing as far as ranges go for um, the reduction from UCR fees uh, that, that these plans, and, and we know that they're all over the board. It depends on the plan, depends on the area, depends on whether it's raining or snowing or hailing or a hurricane or whatever. But what what are you guys seeing? Yeah, I, um, oh, go ahead, Katie. Go ahead. I, well, we usually see anywhere from 30 to 50% yeah, off of right. UCR. Um, but again, like you said, it's it's going to vary based on the patient demographics, based on the uh, volume of contracted providers in a particular region. Um, of course, we're in California, so rural areas, we don't have as many as, as the rest of the country or other parts of the country. So, um, But it is going to depend on uh, the population, the ratio of patient to provider. Right. So, the, the you know, if you're talking about a large metropolitan area with a dentist, I'm not going to say on every corner, but lots of dentists in a particular right. city, it's uh, less likely that they're going to be high. They might be lower because it's supply and demand. So Right. Yeah. Now, and uh, it also depends yeah. on the the UCR for the area and how often dentists are increasing their fees and also how often they are submitting um, their fee schedules, their UCR fee schedules to the plans. Right. So, And that's a big factor. I have heard... You know, a number of calls from from members of, that have actually set their UCR to be their highest fee schedule, to match their highest fee schedule. And so I did want to just take this minute to remind everybody that your UCR should be separate. It shouldn't be what your highest fee schedule is. I have I have seen that also, and I have explained that to dentists, and they were shocked when they heard that. And they they thanked me because when they found out that they could have a regular UCR fee schedule, we added six figures to their top line. That's always All a right. nice thing. How about negotiating? Do these insurance companies, let's say you're a dentist and you get in the fee schedule and you're in it for six months and you say, wow, this is really low. Can you go in and negotiate? What's your experience been with negotiating the fees? Do they do that? It hasn't been great. I'm gonna be honest. I, <laughs> what there's a lot of uh, a lot of plans that are saying take it or leave it. Uh, there's a lot of plans that say we evaluate fees on an annual basis internally and make adjustments as needed. 
Um, sometimes I have asked, like, okay, cool, when was the last time you made an adjustment? And it's like 2014 or something, 2013. So uh, it, it hasn't been great. I, you know, we've been working with um, with with a consultant that has had some luck with um, negotiating network leasing contracts. Um, so there's been a little bit of budget there. Or, um, budge there. Um, we've seen um, some plants when I was in consulting before. I, I do remember um, a couple of the smaller plans um, in our area that, that did negotiate. And it was really because, you know, the pushback was that I, you know, I did the research and found that it was 4% of the patient base and that the, you know, the doctor decided that they would rather be out of network than, than take that. And so, um, you know, there was a negotiation process there, which was helpful. So again, like understanding your, your demographics and your numbers and having the tools you need to go into those conversations prior is, is critical. Yeah, no, that that's important. And again, I, I know, I mean, California is the probably, you guys are the largest state dental society, I would think, or you're in yeah. the top two, probably. Uh, and and and, so, and and again, the, all the state dental societies, I've talked to many directors of those societies, they're, they're all just, they're all on the same page. They want to help dentists, but some don't, don't have maybe some of the resources that you guys have. So if you have this service, you were talking about Katie and Matt, where you can analyze a PPO contract. Can you do that for people that are out of California that maybe they don't have access to that in their state? We can. You would, you, we have, um, it's, we have both access to this service for members and non-members of CDA. If you are outside of California and you're a member of your state association and then you become an affiliate member of CDA, you could receive this for member pricing. Um, if you're not a member of CDA, we have different pricing. Um, let me back up and tell a little bit about the, the service, if you don't mind, Art. Sure. No, I, um, I want you it's, to. So we, so we have what... Included with your CDA membership are tons of resources on this topic on our website. And so um, we have a checklist that's called Evaluating a Dental Benefit Plan, and it walks you through the questions that you would want to ask yourself. Um, and we've we've approached it from two perspectives. Either you're thinking about contracting with the plan and you have questions about whether this is the right fit for my practice or not. We have that is one set of questions on the checklist. And then we have another set of questions if you are already in contract with a plan and you're just, you're trying to decide, is this the right plan moving forward for my practice? So we've kind of broken it out by new contract or existing contract. That is a resource available to all CDA members in addition to tons of other resources and access to our practice analysts. So we were finding that there were quite a few members who were coming to us and saying, that's great that you have this checklist, but I don't want to crunch the numbers. I want somebody else to do it for me. So Matt and I, with an, a, a small team of analysts at CDA, we created a new service, uh, which is Benefit Plan Consulting. And it is a limited consulting service. It's not full scope consulting. I like to always preface that, you know, we're not, we're not going to do like a 12-month contract. It's a limited contract. You can ask us to evaluate a single PPO um, contract. And what we do is, our, you and I have had many conversations about, yes. I'm very data metrics driven. We look at the data, we look at the metrics, 
Um, Matt and I approach this. This is a business decision for your practice. This is no dis- no different than any other practice system that you'd evaluate in, in the dental practice. Um, we look at the data and the metrics, which is why it's really important that your practice management software have good data and good metrics and good analytics, and you're entering the information um, so that it's it's clean when we, when we need to pull those analytics. And then we do an evaluation of how the plan is performing in your practice. And we don't compare it to any other plans. We don't compare it to any other provider. It's an individual decision, um, and it's based on the individual relationship that that dentist has with that plan. Um, and then we provide the doctor with a comprehensive report that we call a treatment plan. And essentially what it has in it is our findings. This is how the plan is performing in your practice. And this is this is the projected impact should you decide to go out of network with the plan. So, and then we have a consultation with the doctor. We go over the findings. We go over all of the um, recommendations for the practice. It includes practice system recommendations um, that Matt and I have um, you know, learned over the years from our consulting experience. And then the decision is ultimately, of course, the doctors to decide if they want to stay in network with that plan or go out of network with the plan. But at least the doctor is given all of the educational tools to make that decision. That's that's great. Now, I I just, I'm going to give you guys an opportunity. So if anybody is interested in your checklist or this service that you provide, what's the best way to get a hold of you guys and contact you? They can go uh, yeah. to cda.org. Um, they can go to our practice support um, page on cda.org. We have a landing page as well for benefit plan consulting. There's a quick questionnaire that they can fill out and it submits it to one of us, one of us analysts. And then we respond to that questionnaire to inquire further to see if the doctor um, understands the service, has any additional questions, and then um, we can explain the service in a little bit more detail. Sounds great. All right. Yeah. I want to get into the to the one of the really important topics, which I think everybody listening is is interested to hear your your comments on. So, okay, so we've joined PPOs, we're in PPOs, and we wake up one day and we say, not feeling the love for PPOs or this PPO or that one. So let's talk about the evaluation process. If a dentist calls you up and says, I'm thinking about getting out of XYZ, or I'm thinking about getting all of mine, or I'm thinking about blowing up my office, whatever it is, right? What is the process you, to, to decide? So you guys are consultants, you're coaches, that's what you your process is. What's the first step when someone calls you? Because I'm sure you get, you're, you said you're getting a lot of calls like this. Yeah. What do you do? Let's, let's start that conversation and, and figure out and tell everybody, what do we do? How do you start? Yeah, I think Matt and I approach this um, a little bit differently just because we're, you know, have different backgrounds and and obviously different personalities. But my first question to the doctor is what's driving this decision? And and I ask that question because often there's a lot of emotional feelings around PPO contracts. And so I my first thing is to establish that. Um, while it feels emotional and there are a lot, and I fully acknowledge the emotionality behind um, some of the PPO contracts and the way it makes you feel as a, as a practice owner um, or as a provider, it's, 
it really is a strategic business decision. So once we've established that, then we move into the analytics. I, I start with one, what is your practice model? Asking those questions. What is your desired practice model? Let's look at the patient demographics. So if we're looking at, you know, what are the things that we're evaluating? Patient demographics, um, income of patients, um, employers in the area, uh, unions in the area, per patient ratio um, per provider. Um, some of the other numbers we're looking at, what percentage of your active patients are contracted with this plan? Um, what percentage of your new patients over the last 12 months are contracted with this plan? How is that going to not only impact your active patient ratio, but how is it going to impact your incoming new patient ratio? Are we seeing an increase in contracted patients coming to your practice or a decrease. Um, so that's why it's important to not just look at active patients, but to look at the, the, the new patient ratio as well. I mean, a doctor, a doctor who, I mean, I've had doctors come to me and say, Art, 80% of my patients come from XYZ insurance plan. Right. That's a problem. <laughs> that could be a problem. It could be a problem. Um, it depends on the patient demographics. If 80% of those patients have the income potential to go to to pay the difference between an in-network provider and an out-of-network provider for those services, um, then then it it may not be as big of a problem as a practice where the income potential does not support um, patients paying that difference. I like to share a story of like my I grew up in a little tiny little tiny town. And I, you know, I share this when I do this presentation to contract or not. But, uh, you know, there was one major employer in our little tiny town, and you know, we were a family of five. There was two dental practices in town, one that took the plan, one that didn't take the plan, and um, you know, the one that didn't take the plan had lower Yelp and Google review scores. So, you know, it really was just kind of common sense for my family of like. Can we afford to pay, you know, the extra like five profies out of pocket, you know, for the for the whole family and go to an office with lower reviews? So it's like really understanding like what you're having to offer in your community and what's around and what the competition is. And, you know, for us, it was, you know, kind of a no brainer. And reputation plays a big part. I think what well, Matt is saying is reputation. So we can run the numbers all day long and we can tell you what the analytics say, but but reputation is going to make a significant difference. And also your dental team. Is your dental team, what's the relationship that your dental team has with your patient base? And um, is that relationship going to um, help you build an out-of-network patient population in your practice. Yeah, this is this might be the most important part of this conversation on this entire podcast today. Guys, talk about how and why it's important for patient for the doctor and the team to build trust. The word is trust. To build trust with your patients so that when we get to the next part of this conversation is okay, you've made the decision now, how do we do it? When you go to tell the patients, they don't go, oh, well, you're a commodity and I'm going to go to the next guy down the street and go to them. So talk about how, I mean, how to build trust with patients is a two-day course probably, but, you know, just just yeah. talk about why that's really important. 
oh, Matt and I could talk trust and leadership. And we just did a webinar series, actually, that's on our uh, online learning platform for um, how to build trust with your dental team. So absolutely, this is... Uh, this is going to be critical. And so when we give you that treatment plan, if you go through the service with us, that is one thing that we will, it's it's a caveat to all of this. So the numbers might say one thing, but your relationship with your with your team. So I'm, I'm a strong believer in your dental team. I can walk into any dental practice art and I can tell, I can tell if the team trusts the leader. And if the team doesn't trust the leader, they're not going to convey that trust to your patients. So it is that trickle down effect. So it starts with your dental team. Do they trust you? Do they support you? Do you support them? Is that is there that mutual respect? And um, have you given your team the tools and the resources and the ability to convey to your patients why they should stay with your practice versus another practice, regardless of your your contract with the plan. Um, I think that that's just, I think I see a lot of practice, a lot of patients who they don't care if the practice owner is in network or out of network. They just want somebody who they can trust. So, um, yeah, it's 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 number one. It's critical. It's it's the number one critical foundation to every system in the dental practice. And, and isn't it really important, guys, that the doctor doesn't just walk in one day and say, "We're going out of network." I mean, you've got to have deep meetings with your team and say, "Hey, listen, I am really as the leader, I'm looking at changing. I call it changing our relationship." with insurance plans and insurance companies. I'm looking at changing our relationship and I want to talk to you uh, and, and make sure that we're all on the same page. What is your experience, guys, with teams? Do they say, oh, no, 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 we can't do that. Everybody will leave. Or do they say, hallelujah, doctor, let's go. When do we start? How does that, what do you see? Yeah, it really is a mix. I, you know, there's um, some that are happy to not have to, you know, work with the plan as much. Uh, there's others that, you know, dental employees, dental staff um, tend to be probably some of the most empathetic people on earth anyways. And so they're already thinking about like, yeah, we're going to lose everybody. They can't afford this. My family has this plan, whatever it may be. And it's critical to have those staff meetings to get your, you know, get your team in alignment and make sure they understand the whys behind it and get their buy-in. Because if your team's not bought in, you're, you're not going to succeed in this process. And you know, I think I saw one doctor, um, you know, went up and in the staff meeting, you know, he was getting a lot of pushback from the team. And then, you know, the doctor said, like, hey, well, who wants to take a 30 percent pay cut? And, you know, everybody <laughs> scoffed, you know, and he's like, I want to pay you what you deserve. And I can't do that if I'm taking this 30 percent pay cut. So all of a sudden the team rallied like, heck, yeah, doc, let's do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that got their attention. <laughs> I, you know, I approach it too that I've done a lot of change management training with dental teams over the years, and this is a big shift and it's a big change um, for a lot of staff who have worked in dentistry for their entire careers. And so, there's a lot of um, fear that comes with change and a lot of um, uncertainty that comes with this process, and it can feel really uncertain and it can feel really scary. Both Matt and I have walked. Uh, practices through the process of going out of network, and um, and it's it can be uncertain. And there are days when you look at the reports and you look at the data, and and 
and there can be some moments of panic. Um, and so that's why it's really important to know the numbers going into this um, before you just make this decision. This is not a, 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 a decision to take lightly. No, and we're going to we're going to get into if you make the decision, what do you do? But I want to make one comment as the numbers guy here. Not that you're not, but I'm the CP, I'm, I'm a, I, I have these conversations with doctors all the time. And you tell me if I'm wrong. If you're contracted with a an insurance plan and the let's just say the average discount of your UCR fees is 40 percent, which is not unusual. Is it a correct statement to say, okay, doctor, here's the worst thing that'll happen. If you lose 40% of these patients, if they go to other offices and 60% of those patients stay and they pay full fee, your full 100% fee, you will have the same revenues and have 40% less work to do and you'll get to be on the golf course more. Is that, and, and I know there's a lot that goes into it, but is that is that accurate? Pretty simple. I- um, I think we see closer to it's a math problem. Yeah, yeah. I think yeah. we see closer to twenty problem. to twenty-five percent, but yeah. Well, 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 whatever the number is, but yeah. that's where that's where the evaluation goes. Yeah, and that's where when you do your evaluation, you say, okay, doctor, this plan represents seven percent of your revenues, and you have X number of patients, and if you do go choose, and, and again, you, you you guys never say you should. Never say that, right? It's always, if you choose to go out of network, this is the financial impact. And if you retain X number of patients at your normal fees, you will not have a loss of revenues. And in fact, you'll have more room and you'll have more time to spend with your patients and all this stuff. So yeah. So I, I want to go ahead. And that, and so we, and we break it down. So I like we look at more than obviously just the fee schedule. So we're looking at the collections per patient with that plan. We're comparing it to the collections per patient for all other um, patients in the practice. So we're really comparing the, how all patients in the practice are, how all other patients in the practice compared to patients with this particular plan so that you can, as a, as a doctor making this business decision, you can say, okay, is this plan performing similar to all other patients in my practice? Um, because I, I often see that you just look at the fee schedule. You see, oh my gosh, I'm taking a 50% write-off on, on average for all procedure codes. Well, What's the frequency of those procedure codes? If you look at the top 15 or 20 procedure codes, which is what you're really performing, does that ratio go up or down? Um, If you look at the volume of those procedures for those patients on that plan compared to volume of those same procedures for all other patients, um, you might see that there's a discrepancy or an opportunity where patients on that plan maybe are accepting treatment at a higher or a lower rate than all other patients. And those are important things to note. We look at your treatment acceptance percentage. We look at it for patients on that plan compared to all other patients. So we're looking at all of the metrics, not just the fee schedule. Yeah. I mean, if you have a, if you have a doctor who has challenges presenting cases and a team that has challenges closing cases and and you're getting 60% of UCR and you have challenges, what's going to happen when you ask for 100% of UCR, right? Right. Right. 
Yep. So that's a, th- th- there's more to this than just the numbers. All right, I want to get into, and again, this is a full day course again. So now you've done this analysis, the doctors done the analysis, and they say, okay, we're going to go out of network with a plan, all plans, um, you know, I- everything. We're going to do whatever we're going to do. All right. We don't just send a letter the next day and say, hey, uh, 1,500 active patients. Just want to let you know that we're no longer a network with XYZ Insurance. Uh, we don't we don't do that that way. So let's spend the rest of our time, and this is really important, talking about what is the process once you've made the decision. We've talked about how you make the decision. Now you've made the decision. How do we do this? So start that discussion with me. Yeah, and I'm glad you mentioned it that or you brought that up that way um, because I I think back to when I first started learning this process, there was this uh, small community and this doctor um, decided that they were going to go out of network with a plan, and they mailed a letter out to the patients, you know, and the patients uh, read the letter and their thought process generally isn't I need to call my doctor and find out what this means. It's I need to call my plan and find out what this means. And, you know, those plan reps are trained to, oh, yeah. <laughs> to, to send the patient to an office that's, you know, a mile down the road and it's going to save them a bunch of money. And that's all they're going to turn it to is money. It's just they're going to save you money. It's not you're going to go get better treatment. You're not going to get a better quality of care here. It's you're going to save a bunch of money if you go to this doctor down the road. So in that same community, you know, the doctor doctor called us and said like hey i also want to go out on network but i don't want to do it the way this guy did because i got all of his patients <laughs> <laughs> so, i learned something <laughs> yeah. and, and, and so we'd compiled you know the strategy for this uh for this doctor to go out of network that was you know a 12-month process but it really began with you know seven months the recall cycle was about seven months um seven months of communicating with patients on, um, you know, they were going to break up with the plan and not the patient and why they were breaking up with the plan and what that meant and that the quality of care was important to them and they wanted to be an unrestricted provider. And, you know, they followed that strategy and, you know, the retention was closer to, um, you know, or attrition was closer to 20%. So yeah, um, yeah. So, much better so, than the letter. So you're good. So you guys are going to do this, in person, face to face with every patient in this practice, right? That's the goal. Everybody with the plan and or plans that you want to right, meaning the, to, yeah, just to, those yeah. patients. Mm-hmm. Okay, and then and then give me an example, Matt and Katie. Of you know what would you do? You're you're going to start the conversation. Give me some tidbits. What what would you say? By the way, Mrs. Smith, I want to talk to you about something. Yeah, Katie, you're so good at this. Well, so the messaging is is key to this. Um, and it, it, one, like Matt said, having those staff meetings to prepare your team, um, multiple staff meetings to prepare your team and creating messaging that feels like your team are saying it, not some consultant is saying it. You know, I, I can script and message all day long art, but I, I tend to find that, um, dental office staff, they don't want me telling them how to say something. They want to breathe their own life into the script. So it's really important that you take the messaging and then you say, okay, does this sound like something that that Kathy in the front office would say right. to our patients who has known our patients for 25 years? Is this something that would come out of Kathy's mouth and not Katie 
Katie, the consultant's mouth. So it's really important that you develop scripting and messaging that feels comfortable to your staff who are having these conversations. Um, so some of the key language, though, that we use, Matt mentioned it already. Um, it's an unrestricted provider versus we know we don't take your plan anymore in this office. Um, it's it's messaging on the phone when a patient calls and says, oh, do you take my PPO plan? And it's messaging to say, we accept all patients who have PPO benefits and we are happy to file the claim on your behalf and maximize your PPO benefits. So it's it's not saying, no, we don't take your plan when they call because the minute they hear no, all they heard was no. It doesn't matter what you say after the no. It's it's just no. I can't come to this practice. So I have a question. So what if what if the patient in this conversation says, "So please tell me, are you in network provider or not?" You can't be dishonest. No, you can't be dishonest. And so if they say, "Are you in network?" the answer is, "We are not in network. We are an unrestricted provider," which means you can still come here. We can still maximize your your benefits, and we will give you an estimate of what your portion is going to be prior to any treatment with our office. And you're going to love our office. Yeah. Um, do you ever get into saying, you know, we, we don't know what the difference is, but in many cases, it is not substantial between whether we're in network or not. Do you ever say things like that or is that not allowed? You can, yeah, I, we recommend giving percentages that typically we see this is the percentage, um, the patient portion percentage. And yes, it's an estimate. Um, right. And our financial, we have financial resources on cda.org. We have a financial agreement. Um, in that financial agreement, we have language that the office staff can read to the patient that basically explains the out-of-network relationship with the plan, meaning this is an estimate, these are percentages. Um, when we file the claim, it won't be until we receive the EOB that we understand what the plan is actually going to pay. So, so it's it's you know it's all in the it's all in the financial documentation that you want to use to support your your um, conversations. So Matt, you were saying you mentioned a year. That's what I've heard. So mm -hmm. we basically make the decision we're going to go out of network with this plan. And let's just say it's a plan. It doesn't matter which one. It can be multiple plans. But let's say we we do go out of the network. We are then going to start the discussion with our team. We're then going to start the discussion with all of the patients in our practice who are patients who are in network. And once we have finished the discussion with as many of them as can come in within a six-month or nine-month period, once we think we've talked to everybody, then is that when you send the letter out? Is that when you contact the plan? How, give me the time frame of how this all works. Yeah, you know, going back to the conversations too, I just want to circle back. It sure really understand who has the strongest relationship with the patient. That's the person that should be having the conversation. So most times that should be the clinician that has the actual face-to-face -face, out of network conversation with the patient. Yeah. Should be the doctor or the hygienist or but in, in, in some cases, it is going to be that front office person. They don't care what the doctor does. They just come to see the front office person because they love them. You know, there's those patients out there. But um, making sure that the right person's having it um, 
contact the plan as far as your question about when to send the letter. Like You're going to have a target date set on when you want to be out of network, and you've probably been telling your patients, like, hey, January 1st is my day. I'm going to be out of network. So uh, you got to understand your contractual obligations of notification, notifying the plan of when you want to be out of network. So if your goal is January 1st and it's a 90-day you know, 90 day um, notification period, then you're going to want to get that letter sent out or email sent out on January and uh, September 1st to make sure that you fulfill that, that time requirement. Um, yeah. You want to make sure that you follow whatever the rules are of the contract that you signed. In other words, if you right. have to give 30 or 60 or 90 days notice, which is, isn't it most of the plans that that's pretty much what we're looking at here? 90 days. Yeah. Most 90 plans. days. Yeah. So that gives you, that gives you the time to plan and get your system mm-hmm. set up and all this stuff. But, but again, it, it's a process. It's not, you know, yeah. we want to, we don't even think about giving notice probably until we've talked to as many patients as are affected in our active patient base, right? Right. Yeah, and you should try some kind of um, like a documentation process because because I'll tell you what tends to happen is that you're going to talk to every patient you see face-to-face over whatever your recall cycle is, right? So six or seven months. And what tends to happen is like everybody comes out of the gate fired up month one or two, and then month three or four, people start falling through the cracks. But you remember those patients that are coming in month three and four, this is their first time seeing you too. So they deserve that communication just as much as the people in months one and two. So uh, it's important to like really be thorough with your documentation on the schedule. Like hey, this patient has this plan, make sure you talk to them and then do some kind of unbillable code to, to try to track whether it was a positive or a negative conversation in the system. And what that does is one, like if you look at the schedule and say like, okay, 10 patients with that plan came in, I charged out eight codes. Okay. I only talked to 80% of my patients. That's, I let 20% fall through. I'm probably going to lose that 20%. Because they're the ones right. that are going to get the letter. And, and, and doctors, I, I want to make one more, one point. You are going to lose patients. I, I don't know of anybody that I've heard of who has chosen to go the route of going out of network that they have retained 100%. There will be patients who just say, nope, I'm going to go to somebody who takes my insurance and uh, I don't care. You you could give me cookies, and I'm not going to stay. Right, guys? It's, it's right. so they have yeah. to, and that's hard for some doctors. That, oh my God, I'm going to lose pay. Yeah, yeah, but you're at the end of the day, if you can keep your losses to 15 or 20 percent, which is a good statistic that I've heard. Yeah, you're going to be more profitable. And you're going to move your practice more towards maybe what it is that you want, which may be a fee-for-service practice. So, um, and then uh, if there's a, when ultimately you send, you will send a letter out once you've talked to everybody. And, And by the way, one more thing, that's why I think you guys, I'm sure, believe in morning huddles, right? Right. So as part of a morning huddle, wouldn't it be a good idea to say, oh, by the way, since we've decided to go out of network with XYZ insurance, um, uh, uh, Mrs. Jones at 10 and Mrs. Williams at three are two people we have to talk to. So the whole team knows that this is going on. That's a good idea, right? Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. And this is why, like Matt said, it's a it's a practice system like any other system in your practice. So it's important that you have the communication 
documented. You have the plan documented. You add this to your morning huddle agenda as a standing morning huddle agenda item. You have monthly reports that you can run to track those positive, negative, um, or conversations you missed that didn't happen. Um, you may have patients that say, I need you to follow up with with my spouse and we need, you know, I'm not the only decision maker in, in my household. So there might be follow-up conversations that you right. have to have and, and that needs to be tracked and noted. Um, so it's a system and, and um, it needs to be tracked and monitored on a daily basis. Yeah. All the, right. Um, well, go, go ahead, Matt. I'm sorry. The, the, when you were talking about notifying the plan too, we have a resource called what you need to know about dropping dental fit dental plan contracts that um, walks you through a lot of this process, but also has the sample letter that you can send out to patients oh, wow. after That's you've awesome. had the conversation, hopefully. And also the um, the sample letter that you can send to the plan for the, you know, the breakup letter. Um, <laughs> the breakup letter. <laughs> the breakup letter. <laughs> the breakup letter. But it's not you, it's me. <laughs> before, I, before I got married and I was in the dating world, I got lots of breakup letters. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. It is really important, though, throughout this process that you stay adaptable. And, you know, I had mentioned earlier, like charging out, like if the conversation goes negative um, or the, you feel like the patient didn't respond in a favorable manner and you charge that out as an unbillable code, it's going to give you a list that you can go back to at the end of this process of patients that you talk to that you can you can run a report in your practice management software and, and reach back out to these patients and say, hey, Mrs. Smith, I know when we talked about this, it didn't didn't go very well. So I want to know what other questions you have. It's really important that I keep you and, you know, whatever it may be, that conversation. Um well, it, that comes back, and 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 unfortunately, guys, we're about to the point where I, I'd love to sit here and talk to you for hours and hours because it's so much fun and it's really informative. But what it really comes back to is, doctors, unless you have a culture with your team and with your patients where there's trust and caring, this is not going to go as well. If you don't have a culture in your, let me say it again, if you don't have a culture in your practice where whatever your patients are told by you, they 100% trust you, you're not going to be as successful as, as change in changing your relationship if you do. And, and, and guys, you've had doctors that you've probably had that conversation with, and maybe you talked to them about their practice and you say, you know what, doctor, before you think about going out of network with insurance, you might need to take steps A, B, C, and D to really solidify the trust you have. Have you had those conversations? Absolutely. absolutely. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And we've also had the the conversation where it's, you know, be adaptable. Like you don't have to stick to your guns. You made this decision. You get four or five months in. It's not going as well as you thought. Be adaptable. You don't, you don't have to stick with it because you wanted to do it. You can wait, work with your team some more and, you know, come back to it at another point. But yeah. I'm going to, Go ahead. Go ahead and, and we've also had a number of doctors who have gone through our consulting service and they've realized that their practice isn't ready for this. And that's right. perfectly okay right. too. They're not saying never ready. They're just saying right now. Maybe they're in a they're in a phase where their practice is ramping up still. Um, I had a, a doctor who had recently gone through a practice transition um, and the practice just wasn't ready for this. They didn't have the right systems in place. Um, and so that's perfectly okay. It's something that you can work toward. Um, again, if it aligns with your practice model, I kind of sure. go back, to, I keep going back to that. 
So here's the last thing, and 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 then we're going to have to call it a podcast that I want to share, and I want to just quickly get your comments. Doctors, I have talked to numerous dent- dentists who have done this, who have gone through and who have either dropped, uh, gone out of network with a plan or have converted their practice over a period of time to fee-for-service. Not only have they been successful if they've done it correctly, they are making a lot more money, they are much happier, they're spending more time with their patients, and their whole practice experience is more enjoyable. Would you say, guys, in conclusion to this discussion, that if you do make the decision, and it's a difficult decision, to change your relationship with an insurance plan or other in, or all insurance plans, that if done correctly, you can absolutely do this successfully. Loaded question, Art. Yeah. It's, so, well, um, all my questions yes, are loaded. We, I mean, I'm, we are we are very cautious in our um, in this in this approach, right? And I think that you're. But all the things you said. If you are looking at this as a long-term strategy for your business, if you have evaluated your demographics, you've evaluated the practice model, you know that your practice model um, fits within the the patient demographics, then yes, it's possible. Um, we have, you know, we have consultants that we, we can refer you to to use a consultant to walk you through the out-of-network process. And we obviously are highly supportive of consultants because we've been consultants ourselves. So um, it, I think you need to decide, is this something you can do on your own? Do you have the dental team that can, that can, um, that can do this independent of a consultant. If not, there are experts out there. There are tons of consultants who are excellent at helping your practice navigate through the out-of-network process. Katie Fernelli and Matthew Nelson from the California Dental Association. Incredibly valuable information. I love talking to you guys. I just, I, I, I wish I could just like sit here on the microphone like all day, every day, and do this. That's what I want to do. But um, thank you, uh, guys. You've been wonderful, Katie. Thank you for including me as part of what you're doing at CDA. Let's real, real quick again. June 10th in uh, in the Bay Area. Thinking we we don't have a location at this moment, but. Um, we Probably will. By the time, by this, the time this airs, we will. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. So we're, we're, yeah. it'll be somewhere in in the in in the Bay Area somewhere. Yes. And mm-hmm. then June twenty second is in Sacramento, right? Correct. Yes. Okay. So go to cda.org and 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 again, where do they go to sign up? They go up for to them? virtual and live events, and we'll right. have a landing page there. It's called Now and Next in Dentistry: Mapping Your Career. Okay. And guys, if you want to come and see me at the CDA, I am I am speaking, I think, twice on Saturday, once at the spot and once uh, to dentists who are looking at acquiring dental practices. And then maybe a third time, Katie, we're still working on that because yep. I work I worked for Katie that week. Is kind of <laughs> we're the way keeping you busy. <laughs> You're keeping me busy. And then we are at booth 1472. Please come by and say hi to us. Um, folks, thank you again for the privilege and guys stay on here till I take the podcast out. Uh, thank you for the honor and privilege of your time for listening to my podcast. Some of you have been with me since 
um, December of uh, you know 2018, I think it was. We've been doing this now for four years. I don't know, it was 2017. I don't even remember anymore. Um, it, we're in, coming up on four and a half years. I, I want to thank my partner again, Decisions in Dentistry Magazine, www.decisionsindentistry.com. Great clinical content, 140 continuing education courses at a very, very reasonable price. Uh, if you're looking for a dental CPA, uh, I'm a member of the Academy of Dental CPAs, 25 CPA firms that represent over 10,000 dentists in the United States. Uh, we are uh, at Ide Bailey, where I was one of the founding members of this group. Um, if you have any questions or you're looking, we do take new clients. You have to be nice. That's the that's the requirement. You have to be nice. We want nice people. And 99.99% of our clients are super, super nice people. I mean, I have just some of my best friends in the world um, are private practice dentists. And I just played golf with one of them a couple of days ago. So, um, you know, give me a call, 657-279-3243. And uh, email me if you need anything, A. Wiederman, W-I-E-D-E-R-M-A-N, at idbailey.com. Katie Fernelli and Matthew Nelson from the California Dental Association, thank you for everything that you do to help our doctors. And thank you for taking your time uh, today. Thank you, Art. Thanks, Art. Okay. And then with that, everyone, uh, I want to, again, thank you for listening and uh let you know that that is it for this episode of the Art of Dental Finance and Management with Art Wiederman CPA. And we'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Art of Dental Finance and Management podcast. Be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts so you never miss an episode. The Art of Dental Finance and Management podcast is produced by Ide Bailey in partnership with Art Wiederman, CPA, Decisions in Dentistry Magazine, and the Academy of Dental CPAs. For audience questions and feedback, email Art Wiederman, awiederman at idebailey.com. That's A-W-I-E-D-E-R-M-A-N at E-I-D-E-B-A-I-L-L-Y.com. Or you may call Art at 657-279-3243.